Today, I have the privilege of introducing Wesley Seminary's very own Luigi Pinaranda. He is a bilingual professor specialized in biblical studies and leadership studies at the seminary. He was born and raised in Bogota, Colombia, where from an early age he was involved in the ministry of the local congregation. After sensing a call to vocational ministry, Luigi, Luigi came to the U.S. to advance his education. He has been married to his wife, Courtney, who's sitting up front today, since 2005, and they have a son and two daughters. Please welcome Professor Pinaranda this morning. Thank you. I told Dylan, you better pronounce my last name right, or I'm going to get you on stage. He pronounced it right, but he said that I'm from Bogota and is Bogota. So I'm still going to put you in the spot. It's a privilege to be with you. Um, God is here with us. My, uh, my name is Luis Guillermo Peñaranda, but I go by Luigi, as you can see in the screen. And uh, when I, I tell people uh, I'm Luigi, Luigi Peñaranda, they, they ask me two questions. The first one is, are you Italian? And you can understand, and the answer, of course, is no, I'm not. Um, and, and I meet a lot of Italians, and they try to speak to me, and I just like, no, no Italian. Uh, so they are very disappointed. And uh, the second question everybody asks is, do you have a brother named Mario? <laughs> and the answer is, no, of course I don't. Uh, but I do want to place emphasis on my last name. I want you to pay attention to this. Uh, if you could go to the next slide. My last name is Peñaranda. Peñaranda. You want to try it? Peñaranda. And, and you have to have that little enye sound, okay? It's no Peñaranda, nothing like that. Peñaranda. And, and I want you to pay attention to that enye. It used to be a letter by itself. So our alphabet had this letter enye. Uh, they, they removed that, and now it's like some accent mark. Okay, but most of the time, people just kind of omit the enye, uh, and I became Mr. or Penaranda, right? Even my wife, she's a little embarrassed sometimes to call herself Penaranda, so just to make it simple, she'll say Penaranda. But I'm not Penaranda, I'm Penaranda. And let me show you a little, let me just tell you a little about my story. Let's go to the next slide. Um, I was born... Let's go to the next slide. <clears throat> I was born in planet Earth, all right? <laughs> from a little galaxy, I'm actually from a little country in South America, Colombia. And if you want to irritate, upset a Colombian, you would spell Colombia, C-O-L-U-M-B-I-A. If you really want to upset a Colombian, you would spell like that. So I'm from Colombia, Bogota, which is the capital. It's a large city um, in Colombia. I grew up there, and that's where I got my southern accent. You can, you can hear, right? Um, I grew up there, was born in 78, and I grew up in Colombia during the 80s. And let me just kind of give you a background. When, when people hear Colombia, they think coffee, right? And yes, I drink coffee. And, and, uh, and they think 
you don't think about Colombia being like a big exporter of flowers, right? Well, it depends what kind of flowers you're thinking, but uh, <laughs> I grew up in Colombia in the 80s, and these are the times of Pablo Escobar, uh, which you probably know a lot about Escobar if you watch Netflix. Escobar is big again, okay? But I grew up in Colombia during this time. Pablo Escobar was a, a, a drug dealer. He was, this was the era of the narco, uh, the, 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 the war of these drug lords. And uh, I grew up during that time. It was an interesting time. Uh, when, when you grow up in an atmosphere where, where these things happen, you don't know any better. But uh, I grew up in a time that there was a lot of violence in Colombia. Uh, a lot of drug lords trying to fight each other. And Pablo Escobar, I mean, he was so rich, so f filthy rich. He made so much money out of drugs that I don't know if this is a real story because in the storytelling there's always certain myths. But Escobar, they say that went to, to the country, to Colombia, and every country has debt. You know that? countries owe money, and, and the story says that he went to the Colombian government, and he said, I will pay the entire debt of the country if you leave me alone. Now, we're talking about millions, perhaps billions. By the way, we owe trillions. Let's don't talk about that. But every country has debt, and he was that kind of powerful man. When I was growing up, uh, there was something really interesting in the city going on, and it, he decided to, to make a war against the government. So the way you make war against the government is you, you go after civilians. And when I was growing up, I remember, uh, uh, you, you would not know when, how, but bombs would go off all over the city. I remember my mom just kind of praying for us and sending us in the school bus and just, just saying, pray, pray, pray really hard. Pray that you would come home. Pray. And I remember being very little and just really praying because we grew up in very interesting times. Um, I grew up in this, I'm telling you a little this story because it will tie up with what I want to share with you, but uh, I grew up in a missionary church. Our pastors were American missionaries, and they lived through all of this, and honestly, I was such a little kid, but something came into my mind. It's like, they could be doing something else, yet they are in the midst of all this madness in Colombia. They're missionaries, and they are loving on people. They could leave the country. They don't need to stay, but they stay because they loved the people. I grew up in a church where I felt loved, and very early on, I sensed this calling, I want to be like them. I would love to be a pastor like them. I would love to leave it all behind and go love people like they've done for me. So uh, I actually had this sense of calling, and they actually helped me, and I decided during college that I was going to come to the United States. And uh, when, when I decided that, they helped me enroll in a little Bible college, and, and I came, and let me just tell you my first day, my first experience when I came to the United States, I landed at the airport, and the first thing you got to do is you got to go through immigration, and that was the day that I learned I was different. See, when you go through immigration, they hire all these people that never smile, 
They don't say hi. You're all nervous. It's like, hi, how you doing? <laughs> Papers. So if, if, you know, if, if you don't smile, if you're grumpy and you don't like people, you have a future in immigration. <laughs> I, I learned two things the very first moment I landed here in the United States. I, I learned that I was so different. I gave them my papers. They looked at me. They started plugging in things in the computer. And the first thing that went was the Enye. Last name, Peñaranda. Last name, Peñaranda. P-E-N-A. No, no, no. Enye. P-E-N-A. No, no, no. I can't do the little squiggle. You can't do that? No, the system won't allow me to do it. That's my... That's my last name. Well, the system doesn't allow me to do a panoranda. And from that day on, that's the day I lost the Enya. <laughs> okay? And then I learned something even worse. They told me, what's your alien number? I didn't speak much English. I still don't, but anyways. <laughs> they said, what's your alien number? I said... Alien number. Like I knew enough to understand alien because I had seen all the movies, aliens. And if you've seen the movies, aliens are, you know, the weird creatures that want to take over Earth. And I just, I just knew alien, alien. And that's the day I learned I was an alien. And the aliens have numbers. I don't know why. It's like your intergalactic visa number that you can use. And, and I'm telling you all this because at that point, I had a choice. I felt like I just want to go home because they made me feel so different. There goes my Enya, and now I realize I'm an alien. Let's go to the next slide. I want to talk to you about something that's been heavy in my heart. I think God has been speaking. Uh, we are in this series about relationships. And I think the center of relationships is Jesus said, you got to love God, and you got to love your neighbor. And you know that. You've heard the speakers. You know that the, the principle. This is foundational. If you want to be in covenant with God, you love God, and you love others. I don't know if you see the slide, uh, but there used to be a TV show called Lost. How many of you watch Lost? It was awesome. It was like... The best five years of my life just watching Lost. <laughs> I was so lost. Uh, but, the, but the one thing, I, I call this, this teaching Love the Others because in this TV show, if you never watched it, it was about this plane, Oceanic 815, that crashed on this island. And some survivors were on the island, and the island is mysterious, but guess what? There are other people in the island, and they are called The Others. And the whole TV series, five years, you're trying to figure out who are the others. I want to tell you this because that day when I came through immigration, I discovered I was one of the others. This mysterious, strange kind of guy that is so different than us. And I, I want to teach you something. I want to talk to you this morning about the difference between loving others and loving the others. 
See, it's different when you think, okay, love God. We worship this morning, and, and man, I love worship. I get so lost in, I want to love you, God. And loving others, quite honestly, loving others is not that difficult. But loving the others, man, that's so hard. What do I mean by loving others is not so difficult? I, I mean, you, you face people all the time. You live in this world where, where we have others. And quite honestly, you could love on people. I'm okay with loving people. I love you, brother. I love you. But loving the others, that's very difficult. Let's go to the scripture. Let me show you something. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus is calling disciples he calls a tax collector named Levi, and then he has a party with them. And this is what the scripture says. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy, who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. I don't know if you noticed that I highlighted sinners and tax collectors, if you could go to the scripture prior to that one. And let me just show you something. I bet you've read this scripture a million times. I bet you've heard this scripture, Jesus loves the sinners, and how grateful we are. But let me just show you something. In, in this scripture, the Pharisees come, and they are shocked that Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. In other words, these are the people we don't hang out with. In this scripture, bear with me for just a second. You must read sinners, not like you've learned from Paul the apostle. Everybody has sinned and has fallen short of the glory of God. That's not what this passage means. When it's talking about the sinners, the Pharisees are calling this group, this is a social group. This is not just, oh, he lied and he stole and he slept with someone. No, 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 no. The Pharisees are saying that is the group we don't hang out with. That is the lowest of the low. And it's so distinctive they are the sinners and the tax collectors. They're not just one group. Are you with me? Now listen to these tax collectors. Why are they so low? They were, they were viewed like, man, you guys are the worst of the worst because these tax collectors would steal from the people. They would overcharge people. They worked for the Romans. They overcharged people. And, 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 and they felt like they were betraying the Jews. But these sinners are a social group. They are the others. And what I'm trying to tell you is that, you know, you could love God, and you could love others, but Jesus is in the business of loving the others, and that is so different. He would risk his own reputation trying to love the others. Not only that, he says, you know, I'll tell you what, my whole mission, you want to know what Jesus is all about? He's all about loving 
the others. He says, I did not come to call the righteous. I'm going after not just others, but the others. Can you see that in the text? Let me illustrate this. Um, my son, he's, he's seven now. He started first grade last year. And he's, he's a good, good boy. He's just a good boy. Um, did not have any friends. First experience going to school. And he knew this kid in our neighborhood. And he said, this kid is my friend. And we liked the kid. And, you know, we said maybe they could become really good friends. And, and, and my son goes to school. And you would tell him, who do you play with at school? He's like, the, the little kid from the neighborhood. That's awesome. He's your friend. This is great. This is, this, is, this is what I'm telling you. It's really easy to love the others. That's a good kid. We want that kid around our kid. And, you know, he's learning all these things. And, and then weeks would go by. And who's your best friend, Mateo? That's my son. My best friend is the kid from the neighborhood. Then one day, he said, Dad, I got to tell you something. Yes. Um, my friend, he called him my friend, my friend has been eating my lunch every day. Wait a second. That kid is doing what? And all of a sudden, that kid stopped being the other, being another, and became the other. You see what I'm saying? He's not just a good kid from the neighborhood. He's eating my kid's lunch. And for that, he's going to pay. So I told Mateo, Get your baseball bat. We're going to go beat him up. You know? <laughs> because he is not a good kid anymore. He is the other. Of course I didn't do that. It shocked me that my kid is saying, my friend is eating my lunch. Because the first thing you want to tell him is like, wake up. He's not your friend. But see, one thing that I learned is like, how do I teach this kid to love the others? Can he continue being the friend even though the other kid is actually eating the lunch? How do I teach him to avoid being taken advantage of without alienating the other kid? Does that make sense? Because it's so easy to say, oh, man, those people over there in our neighborhood, we can't stand it, we'll never hang out. It's just so easy. And quite honestly, you and I as a society have a problem. We have this problem that we think we're better than others. As a society, that's what you hear. We're, we're better than. We got to go. And as individuals, you and I have this problem. You and I think we're better than the others. And I'm telling you, Jesus is saying, hey, you want to love your neighbor? You got to love the others. You've got to love the others. Let me show you a slide. Here is, here is our group. We normally have our, our, our group with which we feel so comfortable. And then there are the others. People that, you know, we, we live with them. And, and they don't threaten our security. They don't threaten our mindsets. They don't threaten our values. They're not really a threat. They're just others. And they are so easier to love than the others. 
because the others are people that might be so different, might have different views, might have different politics, maybe even different theology. And what we tend to do is we tend to push the others to the corners. You do it, I do it, our society does it. We push people to the corners, people that threaten our stability as a group. And here are the Pharisees, and they, they push the sinners. They call them the sinners. I mean, think about a name to give a group. I remember when I, was, uh, I lived in Los Angeles for 12 years, and uh, my first experience, this is Los Angeles. Los Angeles is highly diverse. I remember walking into... into uh, a restaurant with some friends, a group of friends. And, and I overheard this group of people that stood up and said, let's go, because here come the Mexicans. I was so naive that I kind of, I didn't take offense. I just kind of laughed, like, I'm not from Mexico. I'm from Colombia. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you. I was just like that dumb. I did not understand that they were trying to insult us. Thank goodness. And I, honestly, that's, that's the day I became a Mexican, okay? You see how I keep changing? Luigi, <laughs> Italian, no. Alien, okay? And that's the day I became. And, and you see, it was kind of a bad comment. And what was funny is like there was a Colombian, a Costa Rican, maybe one Mexican. I mean, it was like, oh, but they were not doing that. They were trying to say, here come the others, let's go. You see what I'm saying? And see, you and I do that. I also remember one time going to a really close friend and just making a joke. I made a joke at the expense of someone else. And I thought it was hilarious. And my friend, Jeremy, he's 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, big dude. I've never seen him talk so hard. He looked down on me and he says, don't you ever, ever make jokes at the expense of other people. Who is your neighbor? Well, I love people. I know you do. So do I. But who is your neighbor? And when they ask Jesus, like, like, who is our neighbor? Jesus tells this story, the story about the man that, that is beat up and he got robbed and he's bleeding left to die. And he tells the story about the high priest that goes by. He recognizes there's another here, but goes on. And then the, 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 the scribe, Levi, they go on. And then who did Jesus choose to talk about neighbor? Jesus is such a master storyteller that he's there inventing this story. This is not a real story. He's telling them story and he thinks, well, you know, the senior pastor went by and looked at him but did not help. And he's creating all these characters. In his, and, and maybe the worship leader went by and he didn't help. And Jesus, I mean, whew, he says the Samaritan. And the Samaritans for the Jews are like the others. Like, you can't tell a story like that. But Jesus is that kind of storyteller. Here comes the pastor. There goes the worship leader. And here comes a Syrian refugee who couldn't get a visa. 
but did help. And you're like, Jesus is just moving everything we know. So what is love? How do you love the others? How do you love them? And I have this definition, see if you agree with it. I think loving others means to give yourself in selfless abandonment. You give yourself. I mean, that's what Jesus taught us love is. You give yourself in selfless abandonment. Abandonment means this. You got to leave the place where you are. You got to leave the comfort where you are. You got to leave this group, us. You got to make your way to the others. Abandonment means you you cannot be the same. Things cannot be the same if you're going to love the others. And selfless, you understand that concept? You got to do it for their sake, not yours. We live in a globalized world. I mean, that's just the, 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 the word, globalization. Diversity and globalization are big words. You want to be diverse, you want to be globalized, and we use that thing. But if you want to be diverse, this is not diversity. Diversity is not, let's go find an Asian, a Latino, a black, and let's just bring them in so that they can be with us. He's not talking about that. Oh, yes, I am. That's not loving. You don't need to bring them to be like us. Do you want to be with us? Real love is selfless abandonment. You have to redefine who you are. We have to redefine the us so that we can love them. Jesus did it. He said, my whole mission is being redefined. It's going to be to reach the others. So real love means we're not bringing them to be with us. We're going to abandon ourselves and redefine, redefine who we are because we love them. Are you with me? The problem with this concept is like, I don't want to love the others. The problem with this is that we fall into a trap. Some people, social critics, they call it exceptionalism. You think that we are so exceptional and the others are so. They will affect the way Jesus wants us to live. No, 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 no. That's not what the Bible says. I'm borrowing a category Uh, from Walter Brueggemann. He says that we fall in this trap of triumphalism. We, as our group, is so triumphal and the others are so insignificant. And he he, he talks about creating this, this social oppression without even knowing. So if you wanna love, you have to abandon yourself for the love of other one. A year ago, I was eating at Baldwin, and it was the summer, and I just grabbed my salad, and I grabbed my tray, and I sat next to this guy. He's eating quiet, tall guy. And I just asked him a question. He's like, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm taking a class. I'm like, okay, what, what class are you taking? He's like, I'm taking an immigration class. Immigration class? Yes, like, what are you going to do? Like, I want to help immigrants. 
And he kept eating his salad. Like, this guy is interesting to me. So I asked him, like, dude, tell me a little about your story. And he's eating his salad, and his, his eyes just get so teary. And he's kind of shaky. Big guy, too. Tall guy. And he's just saying, I used to be, I used to be, I, I used to be a white supremacist. I hated these people. And the Lord spoke to me. And my wife and I sold everything we have. And we moved now to a place to start a church. And there's so many immigrants. And I just want to help. And I was like, this is a holy moment. Do I take my shoes, God? Because this is... And the reality is, here's a guy who had to abandon himself selflessly. And his life gets redefined by the love of others. Does that make sense? Now, the others could be different people. I had a student that came to me in, uh, prior to teaching in this institution. And, and, and she said, how, how could I love a stepdad? How could I honor a stepdad that's done things to me and my sisters, things that no stepdad, no man should ever do to little girls. And then you realize this is a different category. It's still the other. But of course, how do you love someone that hurts you so bad? You do want to keep them pushed to the corner because they've hurt you. How do you love someone? I asked that very same question to a counseling professor that I had. He had been special forces chaplain, bad dude. When I asked him that question, he just got so soft. He said, look, I've been to war through all these crazy things, but the one memory that haunts me to this day is that my father would come home drunk and would start kicking me all the way out to the house, and then he would grab the hose and beat me with the handle. Dad... Memory torments me. How do I love my father? So I don't do it in my own strength. I love in Jesus' name. And then he said, I, after years of pain, I've had the privilege to lead my father to the Lord. And in fact, he got baptized because of love. How do you love? How do you love the others? It's so easy to love others. Let me just tell you, some of you, maybe not all of you, but I, I sense this. I sense that some of you are called to, to make a difference. At some point in your life, you might run into this intersection where you'll discover, you will know that systems, there are systems in place, and the systems are playing against some people. And I tell you, you want to love people? You want to find a way to love the others? This is one little way that you could do that. You could actually choose that no systems don't need to be above people. I'll end with this story. I remember it's a silly story. I remember collecting papers in one class. And, and a student came up and said, Professor, here's my paper. Can I tell you something silly? I said, sure. It's a little embarrassing. I won't embarrass you. Like, Professor... I spent over an hour looking in my computer, trying to figure out how to put the little squiggle on the end. <laughs> I 
was like, you wasted over an hour? Yeah, I'm so sorry, so embarrassing. I said, thank you for loving on me because immigration can't do it. I became a U.S. citizen and they couldn't do it. I have a bank account and they can't do it. No one can. But you just loved on me. Love the others. John. So I have a question for you. What will you do with this? And quite honestly, some of us just come in and door chapel. We check it off, swipe. I've been in and out. Some of us will assess a chapel speaker and say, I really liked him or I didn't like him. But I think one of the things we have to ask, make a commitment to is ask God to open our eyes. So we even see the others. Because it's easy in our bubble just to see people like us and to hang out with people like us and not even be sensitized that there are others that matter to God. So what are you going to do with this? That's a decision you have to make. Father, I can't answer that for each individual, but you have a place of application for each of us. May we, may we not simply say, I've listened and now I'm out about my life. May we be out about seeking those who are the others because that's who you were, that's who you are, and that's who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.